Hey, I'm Stephen Povatter, the lead minister at Central Church of Christ in Little Rock, Arkansas. Our goal as a church is to follow Jesus together. So we gather on Sunday mornings for Bible study at 9 a.m. and worship at 10:15 a.m. And you'd always be welcome to join us. To learn more, go to arcentralchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon. In our house, there are two green chairs. They actually came from the whites. Thanks. Kelly gave us these chairs because she was done with them. And in our house, um, I would say that these two chairs that sit, um, you know, in our kitchen area, they are what I would call, they are, they are sacred places. They're sacred places. And it's because they're magic. That's not true, right? It's just because they sit in a place that when you get up in the morning and especially if you're Kelly Hovatter and you've made your coffee and you sit there, you have time before the house awakens and it's a, just the space where you sit and you have your coffee and you have your time, right? And there's two of them, so it's okay if your husband comes while you're having your own time, as long as he doesn't talk too much, right? But it's a good space to just sit and to be with God and to be quiet and maybe read a little bit, or maybe don't read a little bit, but to sit and ex be still. And I think Kelly and I both like going to those chairs. She likes going there a little earlier in the morning than I do. You have sacred places? I know you do, and that's why I got this microphone today, because I want to hear about some of your sacred places. Who... Who can tell me about a sacred place for you? Now, I'll just, let me tell you, I, it could be like that. It could just be a chair, something as simple as a chair, a chair in the living room. It could be um, somewhere that something special happened to you, like a special place that reminds you of some important good time that you shared with God or where you understood God in, in a certain way. Or, or maybe it could be a place where there was something hard that you experienced. Sacred doesn't always mean cheerful, right? I thought about this week, the, um, you know, again, we have this uh, slate of headlines that are about violence. And inevitably, in those places like Oklahoma City or Jacksonville, that are places where something deeply mournful and painful has happened, I'm sure there are already little shrines that are showing up in those places. Somewhere next to a fence or a wall is a stack of flowers, maybe a cross. And that place, because of the violence that's been done there, has like taken on a sort of bitter sacredness. 
So it might be something like that, or it might be something that's more like a, a beautiful space of something that you remember with joy and thanksgiving, or it may be something that you encounter it often uh, on the regular. That's where you go with a, a date to meet God. All right. I'm, I'm really just saying this part right now because I'm stalling on your behalf so that you'll be thinking of them, but I bet you already have. So somebody tell me where your sacred place is. Somebody raise your hand. Somebody raise your hand. All right. I'll come in. All right. Tell us about your sacred place. I have a place in my backyard with a comfortable chair where when I take my dog outside to do her business, I just love to look at the trees, listen to the birds and my flowers, and just relax and reflect on how wonderful God is. Isn't that great? Sacred place for you and for the dog? Yeah. All right, Aaron, I told you. Okay, so one of our sacred spaces is our farm. Uh, we built a labyrinth there. And um, we love being outside. And so that's a sacred space. And it's held special significance because our family, we ha had Easter worship there during the pandemic. And yeah. so with my grandfather and grandmother and had three generations worshiping there around the labyrinth. So a labyrinth in this case, this is not a place where like a minotaur chases you around, right? Tell me about a little bit about the practice associated. Um, you could think about a labyrinth as a as a prayer path. We talked about this. We have one at the North Little Rock campus of CAC now, and um, it's a prayer path where we just, you can envision Jesus being in the center of it and walking. And a simple practice would be maybe saying the Lord's Prayer as you walk in and meeting God and then saying a prayer that you're going to go out in the world with God. I love the intentionality of actually saying this is a place that we want to prepare to have kind of a sacred, a sacred. Somebody else tell me about a sacred space. All right, I'm going over there and then I'm coming to you, okay? Can you wait? Okay. I would say the kitchen table at my parents' house growing up because every homework assignment was done there. We ate dinner there every night, prayed and talked about our day. And if we were in trouble for something, our parents would sit us down there. And there's just me and my mom were looking at the tabletop the other day and there's like splatters of paint and like little chunks taken out and just like how many times that we've sat together as a family or in pairs at that table in our kitchen, just that being a sacred place. So like it's the place of like the beautiful mess of life has just kind of happened there for years and years and years. And so it's kind of accumulated this sacredness. I love that. Um, I'd say it's my mom's coffee pot. We've made a lot of uh, sweet drinks. We've had some down moments. We've had some up moments, but it's the coffee pot. It's the coffee pot. It's the coffee pot. I love that. Okay, my teens over there got some stuff. Let's hear about it. You guys want to hear from the teens this morning? Come on, a little more vigorous response, people. You want to hear from the teens today? All right, all right, all right. Here we go. Mine is my bed. Your bed? Where I like to go to sleep. I, I mean, there are people out here saying amen to that, I know. Okay, all right, all right. The basketball court. The basketball court. All right, tell me, can you tell me a little bit about that? It's like a good place to get away. I mean, you see some hoops and calm down. 
You're not worrying about anything. Just have some time by yourself. Yeah, I like that. Uh, I want to say a football field because, like, it helps me, like, focus on, like, one thing. But that's, like, and then so when I, like, focus on one thing, like, when I do other stuff, I'll focus on that one thing. And it's, like, kind of helps me. Yeah, that's right. I like that. A place where you can have, I think any place where we learn to have like a really centered focus can have a sacredness to it. I like that. Uh, the fridge. The fridge. I can get food. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Rebecca, do you have a place? The park. The park? Which, mm -hmm. yeah. What's, tell me about it. Uh, so like if you're like riding your bike and like nobody else is there, it's super quiet and peaceful. I love that. I love that image. What park is it? I don't know. <laughs> it's the park. Anybody else have one that you want to share with us a little bit today? Somebody else tell me about your sacred place. We have one over here. Oh, yeah, this surprised you that he was raising his hand. Yeah, okay. I was assuming that you were helping me screen this. That was incorrect. My closet. Hey, that's like straight out of Jesus' words, right? So we can deal with that. Uh, we can deal with that. Does anybody have one? Yeah, do Tom. I'm coming for you, D. So there's this there's this mountain in New Hampshire uh, where I'm from that we would climb multiple times every year. It's called Mount Major. At the top of Mount Major, it was special because the entire top of the mountain is just blueberries. And so you go to the top and you overlook all the lakes in New Hampshire and we just pick blueberries. And that was it. We'd come down. Of course, we'd run down the mountain so all the blueberries would turn into like juice. But we would use the ones that we had from these coffee cans and we'd make blueberry pancakes the next day. And this is like the one thing that I remember doing with my grandfather all the time. And that place, it just kind of holds a special place because of the uniqueness of it. You guys recently made a trip back. Did you get to go there? We tried. You tried? We tried, and we were all going to go up it, but it rained the day that we were doing it, so we were all mad. But we will do it again Yeah, because I want my kids to see it. Yeah. That, a place that has that kind of legacy sort of connection with your family, that's like a really big deal. All right, Deacon? Camp Cuddle. I was waiting for somebody to say camp. All right, buddy. Yeah. Tell me more. Tell me why that's special to you. It's really fun. <laughs> okay. You shed a lot of blood there, too, so that's a thing. All right. My books. Your books? Oh. I love that idea because it's like, man, I love that so much. Because a book is like a special place, but it's also like something that you're doing, and it kind of takes you into a different... I love that idea. I have books. I have lots of books that have been special places for me in that way. Last night... Um, I was thinking about a question for, uh, for, for the way that we approach this today. Today we're in Acts chapter seven. It's the story of Stephen. And when Stephen was murdered in the Bible, the biblical character, Stephen, person, Stephen, he's the first person in the church not the first person to suffer or be persecuted, but the first person who loses his life 
for the sake of the word of God and the gospel in the church. And I think, I think most of us could say that. I think a lot of us in our, hit our, you know, VBS and, you know, trivia, Bible trivia questions. And I think a lot of us would come up with that answer. How familiar are, familiar are you with the reason they ended up killing Stephen? Now, they didn't kill him just because he was speaking the name of Jesus. But there was a certain set of things. And it seems like something in the work of Stephen was challenging them in a place that was particularly tender. And that is the temple. So when Stephen is arrested in the end of chapter 6, and uh, he's arrested and they bring false witnesses, they bring people who are going to lie uh, about him so that he will, you know, they, they can drum up opposition for him. And what they say about him is, uh, if you'll look with me, look into chapter, uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6 and verse 11, okay? They secretly instigated some men to say, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. All right? And they, it says they stirred up the people as well as the elders and the scribes, and they suddenly confronted him, and they seized him and brought him before the council. They set up false witnesses who said, this man never stops saying things against this holy place and the law against this holy place and the law for we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us so he's speaking about both the law okay the customs, or that's, that's what their accusation is. But what they also accuse him of is speaking against the temple. The temple there in Jerusalem, that's that holy place. That's that sacred place. And for people in this time period, it was an astonishingly sacred place that had all of the emotional connections of these places that we mention and more wrapped up in it, it was a place that you could reliably go to meet God. A place where you that had all of the all of the muscle memory and all of the symbol and sense stuff and the, the sounds and the smells. All of that meant to convey you into the presence of God. There was a, a place that was the central location for God. And here they accuse Stephen and they say, he is speaking, amongst other things, he's speaking against this holy place. He's speaking against the place. 
And I think we have to have a, a memory of what our sacred places are and the emotional attachment that we have to them before we can really fully understand how big an accusation of that was, how big of a moment it was, what kind of trouble Stephen was going to get into for speaking against that special place, the temple. Acts has a lot to say about other temples as well. It's a, it's a story of not just this one temple, but as, uh, as he goes out, as, as the word goes out into the rest of the world, we're going to meet other temples. Not that there was other Judaistic temples in the world, but when uh, they went to different cities like Ephemus, or when they went to Athens, or when they were in other places, they would often engage with the pagan peoples who had their own temples, their own spaces, where they considered what happened there to be sacred. And anytime the apostles or other disciples found themselves to be in opposition to a temple somewhere, you knew there was going to be trouble. You knew that was going to cause a controversy because the temples of the ancient world were so special and they were held to be sacred places where people could encounter and meet with the divine. Reliable locations of divinity. And be careful about messing with that. Strikingly, though, in the story of Acts, we find that as the apostles and as the word, as the, as the church moves into all these other places, they also reliably encounter the divine just not in the places where they were supposed to. Rather, they find that when they move out of Jerusalem, they find a world that is saturated with God's presence. And that God's presence is both located sometimes in what's happening in that temple in Jerusalem, and also, it's in the upper room where they gather with each other. They find that it's sometimes the divine speaks in next to the river in Philippi, where there is a place of prayer. And sometimes the angels appear in jail cells, where they have been wrongfully locked away. The divine shows up at the house of a tanner full of unclean things in the city of Joppa, and as if that wasn't strange enough for Peter to experience there, the divine showed up just as surely in the house of a centurion, where Peter shows up and finds them having a Holy Spirit worship party long before they were ready for it or supposed to have it. The divine shows up all across the book of Acts. 
in surprising and unusual places. Maybe that's what Stephen means in chapter 7 when he gets to the end of his sermon. We're not going to read the whole thing because it's really long. Here's the cliff note version of it. He guides them through the story of Israel, paying particular attention to how God shows up in unusual places. Like, like the middle of Egypt, or in the wilderness of Sinai, or all other places around the story. And he comes eventually to speak about how God gave them a tent that they could carry around and see as they wandered among the nations they could have a sign of God's presence with them. But if you come to the end of chapter 7, look into, look into verse 47 with me, and let's read the last part of this sermon. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. And yet, the Most High does not dwell in houses made with human hands, as the prophet says, and this is a quotation from Isaiah 66, Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all of these things? In other words, Stephen cites this prophetic word that points to God's presence not just in a single place, but everywhere. And then they go and find that it is so. Now, I want to say, and I want to hold the nuance, that that does not mean that the temple there did not hold God's presence. Indeed, through the rest of the book, we'll find them continuing to come back to the temple to experience God's presence in that place. But they also experience persecution in that temple. Sometimes they come to practice certain things and rituals in that temple, but it's in that very temple where Stephen is now speaking and creating all kinds of problems, it's in that very place that Paul is eventually going to be arrested and carried away. And for some of the same reasons, because people are falsely accusing him of profaning this sacred place. So the book of Acts really has a very nuanced idea about the temple. It can be a place where the church gathers for prayer and proclaiming the word of God. It can be a place where the church would even gather for certain kinds of practices and rituals. It could be a place where they come to give worship to God. But God would not be only located there. It didn't have a unique licensing agreement for the presence of God. God's presence was 
all over the place. Of course, the strangest place that we have to say is really not a place at all. It's in the people. And one of the strangest moves that the New Testament makes, not just it describes it here in Acts, but, but Paul says it, Peter says it, they use the language of temples to speak about the people of God, not just physical structures in which they would go and they would find God, but places or, or, or the people themselves as individuals and as a collective body were temples of the Holy Spirit, places in whom God's presence lived. And that's actually the story of the book of Acts too, right? That it's when they go into those places, they discover the presence of God, not just in special geographic locations, but in the people there. As surprising as all the locations in which they find the presence of God are the people in whom they find the presence of God. Ordinary, regular people who somehow have become vehicles, landing spots for God's presence in the world. Listen, one of the biggest questions of being a person of faith, I think, is where do we search for the sacred? I want you to think about that for a second, right? Like, where do we search for the sacred? Where do you go to encounter the presence of God? Just like we left that question hanging in the air last week of what it means when Peter is told to, Peter and the others are told to go and stand in the temple and proclaim the whole message of this life. We ask, like, what does it mean, this life? Like, part of this life is the way that we go about intentionally seeking the presence of God. Where do we go with our attention up, with our eyes open and ready to see where God is active in our world? I think we do that most naturally in people, practices, and places. People, practices, and places. In other words, we learn to see the divine in the people that we encounter. We develop practices like prayer and communion where we encounter God intentionally. We, op we, we have a practice that opens us to being attentive to the presence of God. And then I think places too. Special places like that green chair in our kitchen or camp or the one that I surely thought somebody would mention today. I mean, after all, the one thing that we all share in common besides the Lord Jesus 
as we all chose this morning to come to this place. Right? But we all know that we have to be careful about speaking to the sacredness of this place, don't we? Because sometimes we could, like our Jewish forefathers in that first century, we could come to think that this is the only place where we would reliably encounter the divine. And that's too far, right? Like, that's a mistake to say that this place has some kind of, like, a licensing, unique licensing agreement. This is the only place where you can go and encounter God. And that's, I mean, it's just not true, is it? If our experience of God's presence is limited to this place, I mean, that's problematic. When the air conditioner doesn't work, we have to go over to the gym, right? And yet, and yet, haven't you come to this place this morning hopeful and eager to encounter the divine? I think it's I think it's perfectly okay for us to have special places that trigger memory, that trigger our attentiveness, that trigger our focus to the presence of God. I think that's a good thing. Do you think that's a good thing? I think it's great. I think we just have to be careful about the way that we limit that. A preoccupation with place and prevent us from the perspective of seeing the sacred in people. And the most sacred thing about this place, although we have some emotional energy connected to it somehow, but the most sacred part of this place is the people that we've gathered here to meet, right? The people really represent to us the opportunity to meet the sacred. I mean, this is a place, but it's more like this is a people who gather in this place. People who gather for practices in a place. And I think as long as the order is in that way, I think we're in a good place. I think we're in a spot where we're building our lives to be attentive to God, to be attentive to what God is doing among the people who share these practices and gather in this place. But if we change that around and flip it on its head, and we make the place the most important thing. And then we put the practices just under the place. And we put the people last. I think one of the things that Stephen is carrying on here, and it's part of, because he's, he's speaking in the tradition of Jesus, right? 
even the people that are accusing him say he is talking about Jesus who will come and tear down this place. And part of the work of Jesus in the Gospels was to go into the temple and to remind the people in the temple that they had to pay attention to the disenfranchised people who had been alienated from the place. That the place itself, in as much as it was harmful to people, was a negative thing. But it was the gathering of God in bringing people together in the place, bringing the people together, that made the difference. Listen, when we think about what it means to be people who, following Jesus together, follow Jesus' word to both love God with all that we are, but also to love our neighbors as ourselves. Those two things that Jesus calls the greatest commandments. In the end, they become one commandment. I mean, that's what Jesus was asked for in the beginning anyways, right? As people who, seeking to love God with all that we are, become attentive to the presence of God, presence of God in the people who are made in his image. We live in a city of half a million temples. Image bearers who all reflect the glory of their maker. People walking around who are signs of the very presence of God, of God among us. Let us be a people, let, let us be a people that goes and seeks the sacred and the divine. And sometimes it'll be in a quiet place all by ourselves. And sometimes it'll be in a crowded room. Sometimes it'll be in a space of silence. And some days it'll be full of chatter and noise. God's presence is all around us. In every person that we encounter, may we be people who always open ourselves to the sacredness of places and of practices, but most of all to the sacredness of humanity, the sacredness of the people who bear God's image next to us in the world. Let's pray together. O God, O holy, majestic King over all the earth, who reigns in heaven and yet whose presence is in our world, we seek you. We seek you with all that we are. We desire greatly to know your presence, to have the attentiveness to see the sacred all around us. Lord God, would you, by your Holy Spirit, living within us, 
teach us what it means to see your work in the world because we believe that you are not gone but that you are here present with us in jesus we pray amen